back. Thank you very much to Tasha for the generous uh, invitation. Let's just give this to God. Father, what a privilege that we're here and you are here. And simply let us be open to everything you have for us and all that you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a story of a a mum who goes into her son's bedroom on Sunday morning, pulls back the curtains and says, Rise and shine, dear. Sunday, church time. And there's a, from her son's bed. So she says, come on, dear, we have this silly conversation every Sunday. You know, it's church time. It's time to go to church. Son says, don't want to go to church. So I said, well, look, you know, if we, we've, you've slept through your alarm clock already, and if you don't get going now, you will be late for church. Says, I don't want to go to church. So mum says, well, okay, I'll, I'll do you a deal. You give me two reasons why you shouldn't go to church. I'll give you two reasons why you should go to church. So from the son, says, will you start first? He says, well, well church is boring, and everybody hates me. Now why should I go to church? Mum says, well, you're 39 years old and you're the vicar. (laughs) But we do believe in the church, don't we? We really do believe in the church. Not a building, a particular institution or denomination. Say, not the building, and praise God for these wonderful gifts, but yeah, I know it's like, it keeps trying to fall down. We don't believe in a particular tradition or um, form of liturgy or church government. We believe in the church. Which as uh, C.S. Lewis says, spread out through all time and space and rooted in eternity. Terrible as an army with banners. But why should we believe in the church? Why do we believe in the church? Well, have you seen just who we are. Have you seen what Christ has done and is doing in his church here and now in uh, Everton, in Milford, in the UK, throughout the world? We've had a reading from Ephesians 4 and Ephesians is is a, a, a letter about the church and what God is doing in the church. And it's well worth just reading in the context of the Nicene Creed that we've been looking at. I believe, we believe. There's a lot that we could explore and I'm just going to touch on it because got, it's got to be hit and run this morning. I've got my instructions. But do you know, have you remembered that you have been chosen and adopted by God? Now, none of us chose our earthly, natural parents Adoptive parents choose. God has chosen you. Don't try to tell me made a wrong choice. God has chosen and adopted you into his family. You and I are redeemed. We have been forgiven everything. The Spirit of God indwells you right now. However you feel about yourself, however you're feeling, the Spirit of Jesus lives within you and expresses his life through you and to you. You are a citizen of heaven with all its rights and privileges. 
But I just want to summarise that, because um, let's say Ephesians is shot, shot full of, of what the church is. So let's just put it this way. This is the church that we believe in. A people constantly drenched in the love of Jesus and being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now we have to go and have a lie down having just heard that. A people who are constantly drenched in the love of Jesus and being filled to the measure of the fullness of God. We are a people who are a living, breathing, visual aid and demonstration to heaven, to hell, and to this world of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus is like. We are a people who are living demonstration of what it means to live in forgiveness and grace. We are a people whose lives are shot through, infused with the glory of heaven. We are a people inspired and empowered by the Spirit of God within us. That's what Ephesians says the church is. That's who we are. Not who we ought to be. It's actually who we are. And that's what the Nicene Creed is trying to summarise in those last bits. So the church is holy, universal, that's what the Catholic bit means, reaching back into the past, forward into the future, upwards into heaven, founded on the preaching and the teaching of the apostles, acknowledging the forgiveness and the redemption that Jesus Christ won once for all on the cross, symbolised in a once-for-all baptism. People who look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We are people whose focus is totally different from the world's. Whether that's ambition or fear, we live in a different world. Remember, um, well you weren't there at the time, well some of us might have been, uh, John Bunyan. (laughs) When he was seeking God, he heard women speaking with absolute simplicity and naturalness about Jesus. He said, they were like people who inhabited a different world. Not because they had the language of Zion or the Christian cliches, but because they looked for someone and something more richer and deeper and more wonderful than anything this world can offer. We are a people who live a qualitatively different life to the people around us. Great uh, Christian teacher, 2nd century AD, summarised how non-Christians described believers. And he said, see how they love each other. We picked that up and we family. You see, you can be a member of a political party, or NADFAS, which I burnt most of my bridges at Milford when I, I confessed, I thought NADFAS was a trades union. <laughs> but that's people with common ideologies, you know, you get on people, it's like-minded people. Church is a complete mishmash of people who model how it is to live as a human being. And people who just long and live for the time when Jesus comes again. That's who we are. How could we not believe in church? So I want to just finish by saying, I think there are four things I've just to offer us to take from that extraordinary truth of who we are. And the first is just wake up to who we are. That's who we are. 
AD 33, Jesus has been crucified and has been raised from the dead. So in the blue corner, you've got the Jewish authorities, secular and lay. You've got the Roman Empire, basically the first world superpower that's ever been known. And that's going to move into emperor worship and the divinity of the emperor. It's going to get worse. You've got paganism, and you've got hell. That's in the blue corner. The red corner. 120 followers of Jesus. And God. So who's actually got all the power? Who's actually going to be standing at the end of that contest? Well, kind of we know, because it's in here, isn't it? And we're here now. So, fast forward. AD 2022. In the blue corner, we have a secular, uh, indifferent, hostile, pagan nation and community. This parish. And we have hell. And in the red corner, it's you lot. And God. So who's actually got all the power? Who's going to be standing at the end of the day? Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. You know the story of a, of a young Christian who decides he's going to read the Bible from Genesis all the way through. And he did pretty well. He said, I got to the book of Revelation, read the first chapter and I just blew up. Didn't understand it. So he said, what I did, I went to the very last page and said, do you know what happened? We won. We won. In a few uh, days' time, we'll be having Remembrance Sunday. Nobody knew in the first war or the second war who was going to win. Nobody knew. But we know who's going to win. Because the cross and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus promises that to us. So I think first is simply we need to wake up to who we are. The second thing I think it should make us pause and reset how we think and feel and speak and pray for the church and for Tasha and the church leadership. How we treat one another. Because let me tell you, if the person sitting next to you this morning is good enough for Jesus, they're well good enough for you. And how do you talk about people for whom Jesus died? I once got a big shock here because um, I brought in a, a piece of paper which one of our grandchildren uh, said it had done. I said it was a really rubbish drawing. It was about four. It really was awful. I was embarrassed by it. And I tore it up in front of you. And I got a... <gasps> and then it was a bit like, you know, the films, no, no picture was harmed in the making of this sermon. Actually, what I'd done was photocopied it. So I took the photocopy. But I say you were quite rightly shocked. Because how dare I treat something that somebody created so casually? And you and I are creation of God. So how do we speak about each other? How do we think about each other? I think that's the second thing I want to offer about who we are as the people of God. Because, as the scripture tells us, I can't actually truly claim that I love Jesus if I don't love the church. 
John tells us that. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they haven't seen. So I need to be careful about what I say about my brothers and sisters. So the first thing is just wake up to who we are. Second thing is reset how we think and pray for one another. Third thing I want to offer is expect God to use you. You know, Jesus, when he went to the corner shop to buy a newspaper and a pint of milk sent up by Joseph when he was a little kid, who did those people in the shop experience? They experienced Jesus. He wasn't trying hard. He wasn't standing out of the shop thinking, I've got to be good, I've got to be like Jesus today. So I am Jesus. Now, I'm not saying he um, went, you know, went into the shop and said, you know, are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Or anything terrifying. He just was who he was. But people experienced Jesus. He didn't have to try. He just was. And the Spirit of Jesus is just bursting out his life through you and me. So we can share who we are with confidence, with grace, and yes, with joy. We don't have to apologise for being a child of God. Expect God to use you. Because that's quite exciting, isn't it? However humdrum your day might appear to be, there's an opportunity to be as Christ to that person in who you are and in what we say and what we do. That's an extraordinary gift. The other people may not realise that when Jesus trotted away with his pint of milk and his morning paper, they said, oh, he's a nice kid. They may not have got, but something will have happened in that person's life. We have this immense gift of to do people good and to bless. And the final thing I think I want to say is believe in yourself because Jesus does. You see, we can sit here, or you can sit here, because I've got to stand. And you could be agreeing with everything that I'm saying and the little thing is, but not me. The battle for the mind is intense. I can remember, uh, years back, when I was a schoolboy, I did some athletics and I got put in for a mile, 1,500 metres, White City. This was not a posh thing, it was an inter-school thing. And I'd run one 1,500 metres before then. And uh, there are a lot of guys, you know, running as well, most of whom ran a lot. And before the race began, we were gathered up, and these other lads were saying how many uh, miles they'd run, how fast they were, how often they did it. Now, if I, knowing now, now, they were just shooting the breeze. They were just, you know, talking big. But I just believed them. And what I can remember to this day was I knew before the starting gun went that I was going to lose because I had convinced myself they were better than me. So I didn't try. And we have to believe in ourselves because God believes in you. Again, Ephesians describes us as the body of Christ. That means that you are here not by accident, any more than your, your, your nose, or your arm or your foot was actually meant to go to somebody else, but got to you by some terrible Amazon parcel mix-up. You are meant to be here. More than that, you are a gift of Jesus to your fellowship, to your home group, 
to your community. And he didn't say, oh, who's that one? I got that one wrong. Because I asked at the beginning, why should we believe in the church? But I think the key question is, why should you believe in you? And just to finish, there isn't time to give the answer. There's the answer. But let's go back to Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul writes this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. You are God's handiwork. And those were good memories. will remember I said this before. The Greek word for handiwork is poema. And nobody needs to know Greek to know what word comes from that. It's poem. You are God's poem. Which is kind of rather nicer than you're a functional, you know, table or a useful chair. You are God's poem. Now, I don't know what sort of poems God makes up. They're certainly better than mine. But I should think they are stunningly beautiful and carefully and wonderfully crafted. So Jesus is saying to you and to me that when he thought about you, he wrote and is writing a poem. And it's not about you, it is you. You're the poem. You're the poem. So we believe in the church because Jesus believes in the church. We believe in each other because Jesus believes in us. We believe in you because Jesus believes in you. Let's just pray. Father, maybe you're just waiting for us to wake up to who we are. But we are again so grateful for all that you have done in our lives a billion times more than any politician or influence or or anybody could offer or even dream of. You just gave it to us. So Lord, just let it out of us that we may give it away to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.